Hello, and welcome to Decades Podcast Season 2. This is a podcast where three hosts and the occasional guest watch a couple of movies, one from a previous decade all the way back to the 19-teens, and one from the now times. And then we talk about movies, we talk about history, trivia, culture, society, and for Season 2, we get to talk about politics. And now, on to the episode. Just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? It's a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. I never thought we'd get the vote. So I've never thought about what it would mean. So why are you here? I thought that we might. Hi, my name's Deb Kuykendall, and this is Decades Podcast. I'm Jacob Kuykendall. And I'm Nicole Westry. Hello, Nicole. <laughs> Welcome to the show. And Thank this you. is uh, episode one of season two. Um, we did it yep we did it we did all we did all of season one now we're ready to go on to the next season and uh, we have a new intro as you should have heard it by now (laughs) if you didn't write us and write into us (laughs) something's gone wrong so uh you know we're going to be talking we're going to be watching movies uh about i'm going to say american in quotes politics (laughs) featuring in this first episode one movie not about american politics (laughs) (laughs) um so for the first episode we watched uh, Suffragette and 80 Million Women Want, which is a movie that was yes. made in 1913 and was thankfully quite short. Yay! <laughs> um, yes, so we're doing American-ish politics and history, which means we're probably going to cover stuff this season that is, let's say, more controversial, at, at, at best more controversial. Uh, so let us give us feedback. Is that, that at best? best? At best or at worst, controversial? Somewhere between best and worst. <laughs> at medium, controversial. So feel free to write in and give us feedback. We'll yes, we listen. W- we welcome your corrections. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention it, that I didn't mention, I, I don't think 12 ever, episodes in. <laughs> I didn't ever say in the first uh, season, I am not a historian, A. Eh? Uh, for each episode, I read books about the subject matter, and I try to get some historical data, but I... But my memory's not that great, and also, I'm not a historian, so I, I don't have all of the context for the things that we talk about. So I just try to make it interesting by adding some, <laughs> You're you know, an amateur historical... historian. Yeah, I'm an amateur, by far, because I didn't like history for most <laughs> of my life, so uh, well, this is my first foray into doing anything having to do with history. That's never stopped anyone on any podcast, TV show, <laughs> or news network, so I don't know why it should stop you. Um, but we should probably introduce ourselves to new listeners. So not as, not a historian. Who are you? Um, I am Jacob's mother. Hello. Uh, Nicole actually is, uh, Jacob's friend, relatively new to me. So my new (laughs) friend, Nicole. That's right. Um, I am a principal technical writer at a tech company. Nice. And we're here in Washington state. Washington state. On the top left. 
Um, I, my name's Jacob Dykendall. I'm Deb's son and Nicole's friend. <laughs> uh, I'm an attorney. Um, I own a law firm in Ballard. I do mostly consumer protection and sort of civil litigation, but we do all kinds there. Um, Nicole and I went to law school together, although you graduated the year before me, yes. I think, uh, and the year before Karen. Correct. Who is going to no longer be a co-host on this show, but will be appearing as a guest. I'll give her a shout out because she's in the hospital right now <laughs> in recovery from stepping on a nail or something. Um, but she will be back on at a future episode and wanted to be on this episode, but will not be. I'm Nicole Westry. Uh, like Jacob said, I went to law school with him. I'm currently a recovering attorney. I was doing yeah. civil litigation. I'm taking a break right now. And I work for Continental Mills in their consumer relations department. Yeah. So that's why we are qualified to talk about movie <laughs> industry. <laughs> well, the three of us are all very interested in current politics, let's say. <laughs> and movies. And movies. Yes, all three of us have two things in common <laughs> that line up with this. I mean, the reason we're doing horror, we went from horror movies to American politics was because during all those old episodes, all we wanted to talk about was politics. Yeah. That was the end of every episode was talking about politics. So then, uh, Doing the first season on horror was, I think, a really good experience. Yeah. Um, I saw, because I, I didn't like horror either. Same. I mean, right. So basically, I'm not a historian and I didn't like horror movies, but I really like horror movies now. Yeah, that's and same for I me. I saw a lot of interesting horror movies that I would never have seen otherwise. You've got some context for it. Yep. Um, so we're going to do American politics. Um, if you're just tuning in right now, at the time we're recording this, it is, what, July 18th? 16th. 16th? It's the Sunday where Game of Thrones came back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Game of Thrones is coming on. Donald Trump Jr. released some emails that got him in trouble. If this is the future and this is like a post-apocalyptic hellscape, <laughs> then you'll kind of be able to catch where we are. The government's sort of functioning right now. <sighs> <laughs> maybe. More so, potentially. Or maybe less so. Write in and tell us. <laughs> But that has nothing to do with the movies we watched. Maybe. Or it does have a little bit to do with the movies we watched. Let's find out. So bo both of the movies were about uh, women's suffrage. Did you volunteer to do the first movie? The first movie is yeah. very confusing. And we're going to try to synopsize. That's 80 million women want dash question mark. Mm -hmm. uh, so this was a movie from 1913. It has some real life suffragettes in it. Uh, the movie takes place in New York City. Where... A suffragette by the name of Mabel is kind of our protagonist at times. She's not a real suffragette. Well, she probably is, but yeah, uh, she is a fictional character. In this She's movie. a fictional character. She is part of the suffragette movement. She is involved in an ambiguous way with Boss Kelly. Boss Kelly. Works for him, maybe? No, I think just her... Possible love interest does. Yeah, it was hard to tell some of the characters apart. So there were yeah. a lot of women who looked very similar. There was a, I think there were two secretaries in mm -hmm. Boss Kelly's office. One you'll get to in the synopsis later because she wasn't there at the beginning. Right. And one who looks very much like Mabel but isn't Mabel. <laughs> <laughs> and their relationships are a little unclear, but Boss Kelly is a bad guy. I can tell you that much. He's got a cigar and a top hat yes. and a cane mustache. and a mustache. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Nicole said he looked like rich uncle penny bags. Money. And he does. Money bags. Uh... So Mabel is a suffragette. She is concerned sort of inexplicably with Boss Kelly. Something about him is bad for the suffragettes. 
I guess he's running for something, or his friend is running for something. I mean, he eventually is an anti-suffragette fellow. I don't know if that is bef- still the case before the movie starts. She's upset by him. She's involved in the suffragette movement. She is dating a lawyer named Travers, who is also somewhat ambiguously involved with <laughs> Boss Kelly and the union leader, whose name I don't remember. He appears to, he, he appears to work for Boss Kelly. Yes. Arthur's the guy who gets run over. Arthur gets run There's over. There's also a union boss who's <laughs> bad and has a mustache, a top hat, a cane, and a cigar. Yes. He's almost identical to Boss Kelly. <laughs> and the video quality of this movie from 1913 is very poor, so it doesn't make anything easier. So the basic gist of this movie, as best as I can cover it, is that uh, Boss Kelly, or no, I'm sorry, the union leader who looks like Boss Kelly runs over a guy. Uh, who works for him, for, Arthur. For reasons we couldn't figure out. For reasons we could not figure out. <laughs> well, the suffragettes are in the process of trying to gain votes for women's suffrage in New York. The attorney takes the, the runover guy's case, but the Boss Kelly and the union leader have paid off the judge, so he loses. I think you should call him the wishy-washy attorney. The he, wishy- or maybe the flip-flopping attorney. Yeah. <laughs> the attorney Travers, who is not that great of a guy, but is the love interest. Well, also, Mabel. it's his first real case. Yes. And he does not do a good job. He loses. Uh-huh. But maybe that's not his fault. Uh, he loses. Um, Boss Kelly bribes everybody, including Travers. <laughs> The suffragettes uh, set up a spy in Boss Kelly's office as a secretary to, I guess, steal his mail, which she does. She swaps his mail so that... Yeah, we identified her as the only effective character in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, she's really good at spying. Later, Mabel redeems herself. She does something. (laughs) Kind of. She does her best. Um, Travers does not want Mabel to be a suffragette, but she is anyways. (laughs) She continues. Um... The Arthur, the guy whose leg gets run over, attempts to assassinate Boss Kelly, but fails. Uh, but he manages to frame, accidentally yeah. frame his own lawyer right. for the crime. So then his lawyer is arrested. Uh, Mabel does some sleuthing and collects some thumbprints and ultimately exonerates her boyfriend. Uh, meanwhile, they are collecting votes. The suffragettes are collecting votes for suffrage, women's suffrage. The bad guys, the the top hat guys have bribed everyone and they're trying to stuff the ballot box, but the district attorney chases off the ballot box stuffers. Mabel gets the evidence she needs and provides that to the same district attorney who arrests Arthur. And I'm going to. And says Travers. I would like to interject. I think Jacob's making some of this up. Really? (laughs) That is totally what I understood the (laughs) plot to be. Not that you're making it up, but you had to decide what they were doing. Not that it was very clear what was actually happening. Did we mention this was a silent film? Oh, no. This is 1913, (laughs) so it's a silent film with. Cards telling you what's going on, but, but not a lot but of not yeah. the dialogue. An just, insufficient number of cards. Yeah, just a summary of the next <laughs> ten minutes of silence. Yes, and at times the acting was in a way that it was not clear what was going on, and sometimes the characters were too blurry to tell who was who. <laughs> they don't. They would also hand hold up pieces of paper with writing on them, but to we the screen. <laughs> but we yes. couldn't read the writing, so we didn't know what they meant. Yeah, there's a good scene at the beginning where a suffragette fades in like a ghost and then fades away. <laughs> that was, um, that wasn't Emmeline Pankhurst, it was the other one. Yeah. Blanche. 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 
Elizabeth Blanche, maybe? Something like that. But she was a real-life suffragette human being. There are some real-life <laughs> suffragette human beings, <laughs> as they're known, uh, in this movie. So Mabel gets her boyfriend free by proving that the assassin was some other poor schmuck who got run over, who gets thrown in jail. Um, they prevent the corruption. They are granted the right to vote uh, in at least New York. And Boss you know, Kelly gets locked up. Boss Kelly gets locked up because he tries to bribe the DA a second or third time, and some guy comes in and arrests him. <laughs> and uh, then Travers and uh, Mabel are going to get married. Yes, I think is. The, <laughs> um, other than that, there were a lot of other characters in this movie. I forgot to mention it didn't go anywhere. There may have been some ethnic and racial stereotypes we were not totally clear on that worked with Boss Kelly and were bad guys wearing top hats. And uh, then there were scenes yeah. of suffragettes giving speeches. Yes. And there were a lot of people peeking in through keyholes <laughs> on Boss Kelly saying stuff silently. And, uh, and so that's the, the movie. There was not a lot of information about this movie available mm-hmm. on, on the internet, at least. Or when watching it. <laughs> um, but the one synopsis I read about it basically said it was nonsense, which it turned out to be. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, the way that I found this movie, I was gonna. I started trying to tell you about it before, and you said, "Save it." Yeah, save so, it. <laughs> here it is. Continue that conversation. So our first movie was originally going to be a movie. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was about Bolshevism. It was a movie that came out right around the time of the Bolshevik Revolution uh, in America, and it was anti-Bolshevist. Okay. And so I had found this uh, historical um, historical review document, sort of sort of an academic document that was about. Okay. Uh, how it was it was about bolshevism in movies but it what it was really about was about how in large part at the time that movies were just getting started in the 19 teens activists mm-hmm. were trying to fight against you know big companies that were making movies that were against their whatever it was they were being active about okay, for example sure. for example the suffrage movement they would form their own movie companies and make their own movies as propaganda about their movement and this movie was listed among those films so this was a suffrage propaganda right it was a movie meant to get the suffrage idea out there they even went so far as to have their own theaters where they would you know show their propaganda films and then also have yeah except you know these were right (laughs) they were for like you know we should unionize and we need suffrage and we should you know this and that yeah okay i mean that makes sense I mean, the suffragettes in this movie are either real-life suffragettes or the only effective people and characters. (laughs) The only good guys, basically. Right. Um, I tried to do a little research into this movie and found very little, although it is on IMDb with a lot of people saying this movie's bad and doesn't make any sense. And one person saying, this movie's great, 10 stars (laughs) out of 10. Um, I I maybe fall somewhere in the middle of those two, I think. Well, I mean, thankfully it was not long. Right. A, a long movie where you don't know what's going on would be very hard to stick with. Any movie that's bad and long, or not even just not good and long, is even worse. Well, I think one of the problems with this movie was probably um, it's hard to have a film in that era about the suffragette movement without sort of forcing in that love story, because the lawyer was really not necessary <laughs> not at all for much. anything that happened. Yeah. It was just a way to get Mabel involved, mm-hmm. and without her, you know, sort of having this man to introduce her to that Boss Kelly world, 
Which, you know, her character doesn't make sense. It's kind of ironic when we start talking about Suffragette, because it kind of does exactly, exactly the same thing. Yeah, this was, I think this was an, actually a very good parody. Well, it was good in a lot of ways. Yeah. So this movie was made about the time that the events depicted in the movie Suffragette, which came out in 2015, I believe, yeah. mm-hmm. um, occur. Right. But this movie actually was at that time, and women in New York did not actually get the vote in 1913. Right. They were fighting for the vote at that time. That's a good prediction, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and one of the suffragettes that appears at the at the beginning, mostly, oh, she appears later giving a speech, I mm-hmm. think, as well, was Emmeline Pankhurst, who is a character in Suffragette. Or because she was the leader. Street, right? Yeah. Emmeline Pankhurst was the leader of the um, Women's Social and Political Union, which was the militant arm of the suffragist movement and was she british or american i was british. a little unclear about that. yes okay british but she traveled to america several times in case in fact the old the, the way that i found out that washington state gave women the vote in 1910 is because she mentioned it in her autobiography that she went there and yeah. women had the vote and so yeah. i had to go and look up well when did women in washington when did she state do that? get the vote right yeah. um gotcha yeah. okay I, yeah, I did a little Wikipedia-ing type research of Emmeline Pankhurst because in Suffragette they refer to them as pinks. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I gotta figure this out while I'm watching this. Um, I should also probably mention, because we're going to talk about Suffragette, that 80 Million Women Want has the only person of color in it of these two movies, which is a... A uh, black guy wearing a top hat who has basically no lines. Right, but he is clearly a bad guy. Yeah, he clearly he works with a bad guy. He works yeah. for Boss Kelly. We think no, maybe wait, there were two. Though. There were two. There was there one was... who was like clearly a butler yeah. or like oh yeah, working you're right. In the background. They were eating in a <laughs> restaurant. Also, no or lines or do anything. <laughs> um, which it was a little unclear looking from 2017 back whether he was meant to be a like ethnic stereotype for people who are anti-suffragists. Well, I think you take into account that this movie was made around the same time as Birth of a Nation. Yeah. So my guess is that was an intentional... He was was meant to depict a negative ethnic stereotype of the educated black man working for the corrupt politician. Probably. Also, there were the other henchmen seemed like they might be ethnic stereotypes or stereotypes of some sort. It was just a little unclear. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that the union leader was a big bad guy in this, but maybe that's 1913. I don't know. Well, that was why the unions had their own film production companies, because they had to fight against the government, basically, and, you know, mainstream media movies uh, to get their... Fake news? Yes, fake news. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they had to fight against fake news to get the message out that it was a good idea to have a union. Because gotcha. they were being pushed down the same way the suffragettes were. And maybe the suffragettes, maybe in this movie they were also being pushed down. And I, I guess I should qual- I should uh, rephrase that. The suffragists. suffragists. So a suffragist, as, as I understand it, was they were fighting for the women's vote. But they weren't all militant. The term suffragette was applied to the militant arm to yeah. dimin- di- as a diminutive. Mm-hmm. It's a suffragette. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. But they embraced it. That's, I mean, in my mind, that those terms are the same because I didn't know any better. Is Susan B. Anthony a suffragist or a suffragette? Or I both? don't know because I didn't research Susan B. Anthony, but my suspicion is she was a suffragette. Okay. Because they were the ones that made the most impact, right? Because they were they were mm. burning things and blowing things up and 
I have thoughts on that for the next movie. Uh, (laughs) Maybe not making the most impact, but we're definitely doing the most destructive things. Yes, they were doing the most destructive things. And uh, keep in mind, I read two books for this. Yeah. Uh, One was uh, The Narrative of uh, Sojourner Truth, Mm -hmm. which I think everyone should read. Okay. The other one was Suffragette, which is the the autobiography of Emmeline Pankhurst. So that's entirely from her point of view. Yeah. And it ends... It, she goes. So she's pro. Is she's, what you're saying? <laughs> she's pro blowing things up. It's the. It was an interesting read because she goes from her the why she started getting interested in this and why she thought it was important when she wasn't militant, and everything the government did over a period of, uh, I'm gonna say like, uh, let's see, from like 1906 to 1913, seven years. Everything they did to stop the movement and also to be, they were brutal. Yeah. And they they were corrupt. Everything that they did that got the women to the point of saying, we have to be militant, that, that's, that's our it. only option. When you say the government, do you mean the British government or the, the American British government, government here? Yeah. Okay, yeah. just to clarify. I don't know what was going on in America. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was a league of their own, right? That's yeah. That's the women <laughs> started playing, uh, started playing baseball. <laughs> they can't cry. Well, so if we had, if we had watched three movies for this, the, we could have watched no, Iron, Iron Jawed Angels, which is about the American suffrage movement. Oh, but, that's a great name, though. But it's not from the 2010s. So gotcha. uh, decades-wise, it didn't fit into the program. Well, let's – should we talk about suffragette? Yeah. There's probably more to dig into that, I think. <laughs> Go forward. Who yeah. wants to synopsize that? I'm touching my nose because I'm not it. You're it. I'm it. I'll do it. I think I can do this. Yeah. So there's this sweet young lady who mm-hmm. works at a laundry. Uh, she's just getting by. She's doing – she's living the expected life, basically. I'm looking up the actress name. I just know. Um, yeah. She's doing what is expected of her, which is to allow men to abuse her and to work – extra hours in this horrible environment of the laundry where women are burned. And she has a big burn on her shoulder you see later in the movie. Yeah. Um, and she has, the only, like, the only good thing in her life is her son. He's like a, a five to seven years old. And she has to leave him every day uh, with daycare, I guess, whatever qualified as daycare at the time. Um, and uh, at the beginning, the, she is sent to deliver a package to another part of town and she goes to deliver the package and mean and while she's there some suffragettes explode into action and start breaking windows and one of them turns out to be somebody she knows from the laundry that she works at and so she starts getting pulled into the suffragette movement meanwhile her husband doesn't like it he's not abusive that's uh but he is in fact he seems kind of weak but which actually comes it becomes a disadvantage to her later but Carrie Mulligan. Yes, Carrie Mulligan. What else has she been in? Drive is the thing that I immediately recognized her from. She's the lady in Drive. Okay, and don't and feel free to step in here if I sure. step over something important. <laughs> we will. Um, the things that we come to understand is that her, the manager of the laundromat is abuses young young women, including her at some point in her life, but maybe not now. Yeah. She, he seems to respect her somewhat begrudgingly. I mean, like, she can, she seems to have some sway over him. She's a forewoman, and yeah. she has been, worked there for since, since she, she was, was a seven, child. Yeah. Since she was seven years old. Uh, a fact that we find out so the woman that she, that she finds out is a suffragette has been asked to give testimony in front of, uh, I'm going to say Lloyd George, um, in the book that I, in the, autobiography of Emmeline Pankhurst, and I think it's Lloyd George, he was 
very anti-suffrage and was one of the main people working against them for the entire throughout the entire book. Okay. Uh, the other one was the prime minister uh, Asquith. I can't remember H H H Asquith. I can't remember his first name. Great name. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you some trivia about that. He is, I believe, the great grandfather of Helena Bonham Carter, mm-hmm. who's ah. also in the movie. He sure is. Um, but the prime minister who is most against suffrage was her grandfather or great grandfather. Yeah, take that, grandpa. <laughs> I have something else to say about her character. <laughs> okay, all right, I'm excited now. Uh, so, uh, the woman who is the suffragette is going to go and speak before Parliament, uh, but the night before she's going to speak, she is uh, beaten by her husband, and the woman who's organizing the people to speak before Parliament says, you can't testify like this because they won't respect you in your current condition. Yeah. So, um, what's her name? What's Violet. the character? Uh, Violet. Maud. Maud. No, Maud's the main character. The one oh, got... no, yes. Uh, yeah, sorry. Violet is beaten. Maud yes. takes her place. And Maud is just going to read her statement, but the but Lloyd George, I think that's right. God, I have not... Oh, look up. Oh, look up. You keep talking. <laughs> the guy. Uh, the guy. There's only four characters in this movie who are actually real people. Mm-hmm. He is one. Emmeline Pankhurst is one. Davison. Emma De- Davison is one, I think. No, oh what? yeah, the woman. The woman dies. who dies, yeah. Oh, she spoiler is... alert, sorry guys. David Lloyd George, played by Adrian Schiller, who's got a chilling photo for his IMDb. Hmm. It looks like Evil House. Right. Also, one of his side pictures is him as a vampire. <laughs> All right, so uh, Violet is beaten by her husband. Yes. Maud uh, takes her place, Mo- uh, last minute change. She hasn't really committed to being a suffragette at this point. Um, and she goes to, you know, she goes up to the table to speak to Parliament, possibly Lloyd George. Yes, I think um, so. I'm going to back Nicole on this one. <laughs> and she, uh, she says, I'm going to read from this statement. He says, I don't want you to read from a statement. I want you to tell me your story. Yes. Which he proceeds to do. And actually part of this, part of this, uh, her testimony is part of our intro now. It's the last thing in our oh, intro. Is it? Yeah. Uh, was her statement in Parliament. Hey, all right. Um, Go back and listen to that, listeners. (laughs) So basically she says, I started working here part-time at 7, full-time at, I don't know, 12 or 14 or what have you. Uh, My mom died when I was 4. She got scalded to death. Yeah, she was killed in the laundry. Uh, People die. People get hurt. People can't breathe. It's a terrible life. We get paid less than men, though we work 30% more than they do. And the guy says, well, what do you, if you got the vote, what? What would it do for you? And she says, well, I never thought we'd get the vote, so I never thought about it. Everybody yeah. laughs. <laughs> In your face. And then it, she says, but, but I thought, you know, maybe we might. She says it better than I do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was all right. Like, now I think we might. And yeah. then uh, shortly thereafter, that government basically throws out all their testimony and says, poo on you, ladies, yes. no votes. And she gets angry and joins the suffragettes. Her Before this point, her husband is like, don't go back, don't talk to anybody, and I'm mad at you. Because, yeah, she's like, I'm just going to go listen. Because he's a he's a wimp, and the guys at the factory are like, your wife's not, you're a, yeah. you're whipped. Don't yeah. let your wife tell you what to do. And so then he does what they say. Yes, basically. he's whipped the other way now. <laughs> oh, and then, God, I, so not, the movie basically shows you various things that happened during that movement, yeah. but not in any way to the intensity that they actually happened. That was one of my problems with the movie okay uh they she does get arrested at some point uh, yeah mad eye moody arrests her and says you know i respect you but also stop it 
basically. Yeah, and I didn't like that they made tried to make him sympathetic either. He, he doesn't do it. He's not very he's not, sympathetic, yeah. but he's, they do try and have him be like, I have sisters. and Right. They try to make whatever. him, they, they basically have him say, I, I was just following orders. That's his yes, part. that is his argument. In his movie. Um, although at the same time, you know, they take them. Okay, so the suffragettes, she gets arrested at some point. She gets force fed because one of their strategies was to go hunger on a hunger strike, strike immediately. Mm-hmm. As soon as they were arrested because their argument was that they were political prisoners and they should be treated as political prisoners, not as criminals. Mm-hmm. And since they were being treated as criminals, they would go on a hunger strike. Yes. So uh, later they went... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we can talk about that at the end of the synopsis, Nicole's I guess. making a face. Like, <laughs> she does not want to be forced by <laughs> Or anything else. <laughs> <I do. laughs> um, so, I mean, plot-wise, they just... Sh- to, it really is just some things that happen during the suffrage movement. Because... At the end of it, when you get to the end of the movie, they haven't got the vote. No. Um, I don't remember what the last event is, but it's shortly it's after. Just the parade. And the woman gets, yeah, oh, so she it's gets crushed Dave, by a horse and they It's Davison's funeral. funeral. Yeah. 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 Which was not at the end of the suffrage movement by any means. Although they, I can see why, movie-wise, they would want that to be the dramatic climax. Yeah, sure. they show a bunch of stuff that slowly is Maud's life getting worse and worse because, her, you know, her husband kicks her out and then, you know puts her son up for adoption because he can't take care of it and yeah. a single father and it shows her getting more desperate and then more militant because of it. Right. So she escalates from, you know, breaking windows to putting bombs in telegraph boxes. They blow up a building. Cool. <laughs> yeah, like one of the members of Parliament's home when he's not around. It was Lloyd George. Was it Lloyd George? In, in yeah. historic oh, yeah. ways. And yeah, so and th- things keep getting bad. It was a, actually a ha- it was a home mm-hmm. he had under construction at the time. Yeah. So they did blow up many things, but they were all unoccupied, mm-hmm. according to Emily Pankers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the policeman's like, there was a lady who came back to get her glasses and blew, he blew her up. No, no he, he no, said if she had been two minutes later, oh, she would have died. Okay. And then Misunderstood that. <laughs> Which makes sense as to why they were not thrown in jail forever. There's not a lot of uh, legal rights discussed in this <laughs> no, movie. Not really. no. A lot of the women get beaten by billy clubs at one point. And locked up indefinitely. And yeah. That's pretty, I mean, that's the movie. Yeah. It's not, there's not really a, st- I mean, the story is Maud's story. I will... Her gradual decline of the quality of her life because she's fighting for women's yes. rights. The one thing I would want to make sure is added to the synopsis is Meryl Streep is in this movie very briefly as Emmeline Pankhurst, and she basically just gives a speech, mm-hmm. right? And the thing that you saw happen there with the veils, that actually, they did that. To hide her identity. Yes, yeah, so oh, that okay. she could escape. Yeah. Because, oh, God, the British government at the time was... Not so good? Based on, Surprise! Based on Emmeline Pankhurst's autobiography. So, it, you know, it's from her perspective. But yeah. they cre- because at the time that the suffrage movement started, or the suffragette militancy started, uh, if they released someone from prison early they had to pardon them in order for that to happen Mm. and because they were going on hunger strikes they were repeatedly having to release them they didn't want them to die in prison because that would martyr them yeah so they were repeatedly having to release them because they were becoming so ill they couldn't continue to imprison them okay so they created a law the cat and mouse law and the cat and mouse law made it so they didn't have to pardon them anymore Okay. They would just release them until they were healthy and then put them back in prison. Oh, I like that. Sure. <laughs> so at some point, uh, Emmeline Pankhurst was accused of 
conspiracy uh, because when it was, I think it was Lloyd George's uh, when they when those they blew ladies blew up his house. She wasn't there, obviously, and they couldn't even really pin it on anyone because they she only took credit for it so that the people who did it wouldn't be in trouble. And they were like, "Oh, she's trying to get attention for herself." And that's not that's not how she's described. I'm sure in real life it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> that's how it happened. Yeah. Um, in the the evidence that they had was like a woman's hat pin and a woman's galoshes. Hmm. Or one galosh, whatever. Who left a pin and galoshes there? Uh, so they really couldn't pin the crime on anyone. No pun intended. They, they, <laughs> <laughs> they accused her and a few others in the leadership of the Women's Social and Political Union of conspiracy. Okay. It's basically saying, and this is happening to, to activists right now, in, mm-hmm. in the real times. Mm-hmm. That basically saying that the words that she said in her speeches incited them to commit the crime. Right. And so she's guilty of the crime. Yeah, there's some of that going on right now. Yes. And I'm going to... Deray McKesson is currently being sued for the act of a man who was not even part of the Black Lives Matter movement, as far as I can tell from the stories. was not there at the time. No, but they're suing him for it anyway. Yep. Um, So anyway, that was basically what this was, and she got three years in prison, but of course, you know, every time they went into prison... They immediately went on a hunger strike and later even a thirst strike, so it got worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'd have to release them because they'd become so ill they couldn't keep them alive in prison anymore. And so at some point she said, "I'm, you know, I'm not going to obey your cat and mouse law. I'm just not going back to prison. Because there were, you know, basically the law said, you get released, you have to go home, you have to tell us where you're going, we're going to keep you under surveillance. Yeah, it's like and, home, home monitoring almost. Right, like home uh, arrest, house arrest. Yeah, house arrest. Yeah. Um, and when you're well enough, then you have to go back to you have to report back to prison on your own. And she said, "I'm not doing that." Yeah. No, thank you. Tough. Yeah. Uh, and after they had cat and mouse her a few times, she they kind of got a little lazy about it, and she went to France and visited her daughter oh, there, hey. and <laughs> and then she went to America and did a few things there. But when she came back from America, they... Um, this is Pankhurst. Pankhurst. Not immediately the put char- Not the imaginary character. Not the imaginary character. The actual person. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with the movie briefly <laughs> before we dig into the non-real-life parts of this. So yeah. what do you guys think? Well, I mean, from my perspective, since I was reading this autobiography at the same time, basically, yeah. so I was I finished it this morning. Um, yesterday, I was reading it in the car as we were traveling to and from the hospital to see Karen. Yeah. And at the point where I stopped reading yesterday was about the point where this movie starts, which is oh, the point okay. where they start becoming more militant because they weren't windows. they weren't always militant. That was that was a gradual escalation of uh, yeah. of activity. Well, they justify it in the movie by saying, if you want us to respect the laws, make laws that we can respect. And since we don't have the right to vote, we don't respect your laws. Right. right. We can't make the laws, so why should we obey the laws to some yeah. extent? I thought the movie was weak okay. in terms of the How message. So? Weak in terms of... I didn't read the book. Right. I have, a simil- <laughs> I have some similar, but maybe not the same feelings about this movie. So I don't think it, it, it described very well... Maybe there just wasn't enough time, or it wasn't. They didn't have a powerful enough story. Okay. They did show that there was a woman. You know, they they humanized it by having Maud be victimized, and also you saw her see another person start to be victimized. Yeah. You didn't see the abject poverty that was also part of it. I mean, they were poor, yes. but they weren't like 
they had things. Yeah, they were fed. It they were like. fed. They had housing, um, but they didn't show like a workhouse where people were so poor they couldn't, you know, subsist, and they had to go to a place where that was that was worse. Right? Yeah, sure. They didn't talk about the laws against women that were basically the men were making laws trying to some extent to address poverty issues, mm-hmm. but because they didn't understand them, they would make laws like you have to care for your children in a certain way, in ways that were okay. impossible for the women to actually do, and the women would be arrested and sent to prison for the terrible things that they did because they didn't have any choice. Like, for example, um, there was a woman who was arrested because her she kept her infant in a box of damp straw. Okay. The straw was damp because there was no way for her home to not be damp. Right. It wasn't okay. like she wanted her baby to be in a box. She would have preferred a cradle. Right. right. Um, and so she was arrested and taken away from her children. So now who's caring for the children? Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, that's a specific example. I think they could have gone. I think they could have shown more of the actual, you know, more of the lower level towards, you know, here. pain. Right. Yeah. I think it was hard because they were trying pretty exclusively to focus on just Maud's character. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much you can put her through before yeah. it becomes a caricature. Um, I mean, she goes through a and lot of stuff. And she goes through a lot. That is <laughs> so, a... you know, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a storytelling sort of device, and then also it's limited mm-hmm. in what it can present. And, yeah, I thought at the very least the suffragette characters that they portrayed um, all had unique stories and we're all sympathetic, you know, you, you yeah. believed them, you understood them, you liked them. So in terms of that, I thought it was well done. Yeah, and I also I should, there's not that many movies starring of all women, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. About women, about a woman's topic. It was well acted, you know, it was mm-hmm. well, it was the cinematography was good. So I, I should, probably should complain less. No. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, one of my complaints about the movie, which is probably tied into it, is... Um, that it doesn't really go anywhere. And a lot of that, I think, is because they focused on the suffragette movement versus the suffragist movement. And the suffragette movement, in my opinion, didn't make as big of a contribution to them eventually getting the right to vote as the suffragist movement. Yeah. So where it ends, it ends sort of like, oh, and then And in the future, (laughs) some people got the right to vote. Well, fast forward five years and don't talk about That's kind of what happened. happened. What happened was World War I happened. And the suffragettes said, okay, well, we're calling a ceasefire because now we're at war. Yeah. What happened after that, I have no idea, because the book ends where yeah. at, <laughs> during sure World War I. I'm sure talk about that, but <laughs> the suffragist movement had a lot to do in that time, and they went the other route. They went um, the sort of political maneuvering route, and mm-hmm. they went straight to um, the, two of the uh, liberal parties in the um, British government and said, hey, we have funding, and they sort of you know, created what would now be called a pack and said, mm. we will fund your campaigns. We will give you tons of money if you start supporting this. And, you know, not only will you have the money for your campaigns, but you'll have built-in voters right. to support <laughs> you. And, you know, it took some time, but that's really how that movement propelled it. And that's what ended up getting them the right to vote was the political backing. I mean, there's a real political incentive to getting women the right to vote, which is that they can also vote for you if they have the right to vote. And the other liberal party saw it and they went, oh, these guys are getting funding. If we don't start switching yeah. to this, we're going to be sort of outmaneuvered and 
lose out on her yep. political power. That makes so. sense because she describes in her autobiography their specific strategy was not to support any political no. party because no political party was supporting their yeah. their movement. Yeah, so that's where the two parties sort of divested and this sort of hole was left in this movement. <laughs> yeah has an answer, but it's Things not addressed did, at all. Yes. And as a matter of fact, women did get the right to vote eventually, although it's not shown in this movie. And it, I'm sure that World War One. she theorized at the end of her book that World War One would, that they would not need to be militant after World War One, and that the war itself would change the political landscape sure. so much that, uh, that, things would happen after the war mm-hmm. and it makes sense because women probably i don't know Took a lot about world war one yeah. i'm sure i know world war two i'm relatively yeah, familiar with but with world war one i assume the same thing all the men left and the women had to take positions of more power right some power well it did you know turn up the heat in some respects on you know the people in parliament because one of the um pitches that the suffragists had was listen, if you start making actual political gain towards this, then people who are drawn to the suffragette movement will sort of laugh it off. They'll say, you know, we don't need to riot. We don't need to be militant. Yeah. We have another avenue. So they're like, your best way to eliminate these guys who are sort of a thorn in your side is to just make them unappealing. Right. I, I kind of came in, in, I came in in the middle for this movie, um, not knowing really anything at all about it going in um, because I was actually more exciting than I thought. Like, as a movie, it was more exciting. <laughs> There's, a There's a lot of explosions. I thought Maud was both well-acted and had an interesting story. Like, you, they do a very good job of laying out how this person who is, seems kind of passive at the beginning ends up as a suffragette because, like, a bunch of terrible stuff happens to her and even just being even sort of mildly supportive of the people she knows and likes is enough to get her roped in with this group. Um, I don't think the other characters were very well fleshed out, which was one thing that bothered me. Like, the other suffragettes are pretty flat. Even if they're well acted, her friend Violet, who uh, basically is like, I'm pregnant, I can't do this anymore, and it's understandable, but then she kind of just disappears out of the movie. There were some characters where I was like, I I like what's going on with Maude, but it does not, didn't to me make a very sharp impression of the movement. It made a very, it was a better story about Maude than the suffragettes, maybe. We didn't talk about the doctor at all, did we? Helena Bonham Carter's No. Character. And I think she's a composite of two real-life people. Two Ediths, I believe. Yeah. Um, oh, really? she She wanted to be, she wanted the character to be uh, specifically Edith, I'm going to say Garud. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Edith Garud, perhaps. Um, I, may be, I may be way off base on what the last name is. She was a jujitsu uh, instructor? Is that that video you yeah. sent around? But that wasn't her. Oh, okay. Uh, th- that wasn't video of her. It was a different woman doing jujitsu. But um, basically, this character that she wanted to have her character be based on, and you see her do a little jujitsu in the movie, um, was the woman who trained the bodyguard. So there was, or the guard, the guardians. Did they call them the guardians or the bodyguards? Hmm. Um, so they actually had bodyguards at some point in the uh, women's. Cool social and political union to protect speakers and such and she trained them in jujitsu and then they would you know protect the women right i would hope yeah and the police were afraid of them apparently based on some cartoons (laughs) from the time (laughs) they were afraid to attack because these women knew jujitsu and she was very small i'm sure the british police did not know (laughs) jujitsu so (laughs) that makes sense 
Um, yeah, I thought it was an okay movie. Uh, it does kind of just peter out at the end. Um, I didn't know anything about the suffragette movement and doubly didn't know anything about the suffragette movement in the UK. So I did some research and Wikipedia and Googling and part of me wonders if maybe the reason that this movie does not go past the point it does is that Emmeline Pankhurst's life gets a little less clear cut as it goes on. Um, I, one of the things I looked at was, well, this movie, Suffragette, is as white a white movie as it possibly could be. And I was like, was that historically true? Which, no. not really. Um, and then there were, I had a question of like, okay, well, Emmeline Pankhurst, what was her position on, you know, suffrage for people of color or other people? Uh, and one of the things is that I read was that after World War One. Emmeline Pankhurst went into politics in the Conservative Party in the UK. And mm-hmm. that is the, how her kind of the rest of her life is. She became like a political, a politician on the conservative side. But that makes in sense because the people that were in power at the time that they were, that the suffragette movement was uh, in full swing was the Liberal Party. Oh, sure. So the, the implication was, well, she didn't make a lot of clear statements about uh, giving the right to vote or more political power to people of color or other minority groups at the time but she may not have if she had been given the opportunity to weigh in right and i from reading her autobiography and knowing a few facts about what you know about who was actually involved in the movement i would say yeah yeah, probably Probably something of a racist the i mean the other thing was that there were especially in the u.s one of the suffragette platforms or issues was that african-american men could vote before Mm -hmm. white women could and that was a sticking point and as suffrage in as women's suffrage sort of grew in the u.s it grew for white women because one of their like positions that allowed them to, to to push this was that well we don't want black women to have the right to vote because that will just make black people have more votes and we don't want that, but if we could just get white women the right to vote. Well, even the the right to vote that they were uh, fighting for in the, during the suffragette time frame was not the right for all women to vote. No. It was the right for, it was similar to the right, all men didn't have the right to vote at that time. Even. Yeah, it was You had to be householders, I believe, okay. but not quite the same as property owners uh, from the definition that was in the uh, book. It is anyone who pays for a space to live in. Right, so you have a household, yeah, okay. um, and they wanted the same rights for women. So it wouldn't have given rights to everyone; it would have only given rights to some at that time. The kind, the bills that they were talking about. And this movie definitely got in trouble for some whitewashing, well, whitewashing adjacent <laughs> issues. Um, one thing I'd read that I sort of vaguely remember was that when this movie debuted at Cannes or Sundance or something, the main actresses all wore a t-shirt that says i'd rather be a rebel than a slave which is something emmeline pankhurst was quoted as having said but they got in some hot water for that because they weren't the suffragettes were not slaves so that was a at least racially charged thing to say and the actresses did not really acquit themselves very well no um they should have worn a shirt that said votes for women. That would have been... Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that would have been Stay a little better. Um, uh, so, 
we had talked a little bit about this. Um, there was an Indian princess uh, who was the daughter of the last Raj of India, Sophia Dulit Singh, who is not mentioned in this movie, but who was a suffragette yeah. and was quite famous because she was a princess. She was the goddaughter of Queen Victoria. Right. There was a lot of stuff going on with India at the time. Mm -hmm. um, she was also very active. Um, she was in society. Yeah. She was a member of the aristocracy, but she was also a suffragette. So ignoring her entirely in this movie seems a bit like ignoring... I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a bad idea. <laughs> Let's put it out. I also think that the, the way this movie ends... The character, I can't remember her name. Ma? No, not Maude. The Emily. character who is run over by, Emily. she runs onto the horse track. She's one the of the king few historically true characters. She is trampled by a horse. You can actually see this film, by the way, because at that... Well, they show at, some footage of something, of her funeral yeah. at the end no, of the no, movie, right? Yes, they do. But at the Derby, there were several uh, cameras, th several cameras filming the race. And so we you go to YouTube. mentioned that she did this on purpose. Yeah. That's well. That's in dispute. Oh, is oh, really? It? Yes, I feel like she probably did, based on the fact that she had actually tried to commit suicide one time oh, before that. Didn't know that. Uh, when she was in prison, she jumped. I believe it was when she was in prison. She jumped out of a window, but she was caught by some netting. Okay. Um, and that netting? was that was it's in, like an iPhone factory. <laughs> yeah, I have some real questions now. <laughs> I think I think it was in protest of the force feeding, which was quite brutal. That yeah, they did. she was force fed like forty nine times. It oh. was not good. Um, so. You know, if I my interpretation is, yeah, she probably did it on purpose because she had made statements also that or did not care one way or the other. The movie kind of looks like she doesn't care. She walks out in front of a horse race and is just like, I'm making a statement. So they theoretically, one of the theories is that she was trying to pin a banner on the horse, and they had actually been practicing doing that. Mm. Whoa! Uh, How do you do that <laughs> while they're racing? <laughs> yes, while they're racing. Um, but based on the fact that she had tried to commit suicide before, had yeah. actually made statements to the effect that if if we have someone who dies from this, they will pay better attention to us. Sure. And then she stood in yes. front of a horse and died. Yeah, and killed the jockey too, it seems no, like. No, he the, was okay. Yeah, he oh, was okay. okay. The horse was also he okay. He had a concussion. Okay, the horse looked okay in the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the horse raced like actually, the next week. the jockey went and I think... Uh, contributed to her funeral or something oh, like really? that. Like he was he ended up being pretty in favor of the movement. So he had well, that's no awesome. ill will towards them for what Good. happened. Yeah. Um so she steps into the horse race where the king's watching, she's killed. The movie ends with a big funeral that with splices Yeah, that cuts into the real footage of her funeral with thousands of people in attendance. And then a text comes on screen saying like Nineteen eighteen. Nineteen is like certain women were given the right to vote. And I was like Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they're maybe kind of trying to rephrase this in a way that's more comfortable to this ending, which is like certain women got the right to vote. And here is a list of other countries that also some women received the right to vote in part. And then it scrolls past on the screen. <laughs> I I wondered about their language choice at the certain women. Yeah, there. I think that's part of why I have that whole... I just don't think they did enough in this movie to... It could have been so much more dramatic and... You know what? I, I When I heard that speech, the, 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 thing, the speech that I used a piece of mm -hmm. in our intro, you know, 
I hadn't seen the movie yet. Yeah. But I thought, well, this must be the end of the movie. Right. They get the vote, and then she says this. No, that's the beginning of the movie. She says this, and they don't get the vote. Right. I also, like, from from my brief wikipedia <laughs> Emmeline Pankhurst sounds like she has a much more interesting story, although a less po- necessarily positive one, where she is heads up this movement that gets increasingly more militant and then ultimately ends up as a politician who succeeds in her task, right? Like, in she succeeds partly, you know, not necessarily because of her militancy, but I thought, like, what an interesting character, but this movie's not, she's very briefly in this movie. I was kind of thinking, well, maybe they could make a movie about her that might be more interesting or, or more exciting. Maybe it was, the movie didn't seem to have a message to deliver. I mean, we, it was some events that occurred, but it didn't try to tell us, and that's why you should care about a thing, or, you know, and that's why this was so important. You know what I mean? I mean it was horrible for the women, and then got more horrible when they stood up for themselves. Um, but you never do get that. I mean, the, the question that the movie poses at the first act is, well, what will you do when you get the right to vote? But, you know. Right, and they never make it clear. I mean, part you know, the reason that they wanted the vote was because... You know, when a man rapes a child, he gets two years. But when I conspire to blow up an empty house, I get three years. That was, you know, those were some of their arguments. Things are very unfair for us, and we should have some say in it. Yeah, I don't know. It was was still an interesting movie. I would still recommend people to see it. Yeah, I think it's it's not boring. No, No, it's not boring. I think that they do do a... It's more like a highlight reel of some things that happened to the suffragettes more than a clear picture of history which has some benefit you know has some pros and cons i guess i don't know if it's because you know i am passionate about politics but i would have found it a more interesting movie to have it be about both movements the suffragist and the suffragette and sort of um how they played off of each other how there was the conflict between them um i would have liked to see the backroom deals and yeah (laughs) how you know, you get involved in politics in general when you don't have a voice. I think I it's very important to today. <laughs> I would like to see them get the right to vote at the end of the movie, too. You know, it's it's got parallels to, you know, Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X. And yeah. they just wasted, I think, that opportunity. I think that would have been a really interesting movie. The um, other thing they could have done, uh, which she brings up in her autobiography, it was not the suffragist movement, but there was another movement going on for our uh, home rule I'm going to say for Ireland but I think it was for Ireland sorry historians <laughs> right um, in. but basically a lot of when she would go into court and speak for herself she would say these men come out and they say they are going to do these militant acts and they do not get arrested women do much less violence mm-hmm. They, you know, we blow up a mailbox they actually intend to do physical harm to other human beings and yet we get thrown in jail and treated like criminals and they're treated like political activists. Yeah. And that was completely left out. But right, it was happening at the same time. Women don't know their place. So when they step out. Yeah, yeah, really come down hard. <laughs> well, and also, I assume not being a historian or knowing a whole lot that the story of that Indian princess probably was really interesting and she had probably a really complicated life that yes, would have life. fit into a much more interesting movie. One of the things that I uh, listened to and in advance of this yeah. movie was a two-part podcast about Sophia Dulce. What's what was the podcast called? Oh, God, 
<laughs> Google it. We'll edit it in later. Because um, I was just looking around, you know, I was just looking around for stuff about suffragists. Yeah. I already had, I was already aware of this, of her through, mm. you know, wiki things. Yeah. You go down the wiki hole and you find out stuff. Um, but I found this two-part thing and it was pretty, it was it's about an hour for two episodes. They talked in the first episode about her childhood, her difficult childhood as a princess of uh, the last Raj. Sure. His father died, the last Raj's father died when he was like seven, right? So then he was the Raj of India and his mother was the regent. Um, They moved him to, he either moved or was moved to England, basically was uh, assimilated into English Mm -hmm. society. Sometime in his later life, he started to figure out, oh, wait a minute, they're taking over my country yeah. while I'm here, you know, hanging out, being assimilated. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't that great to his family. He left his family in India and he went, or in England, and he went back to India. And his last threat to the queen was something like, I'm going to go back to Hinduism if you don't do what I need. <laughs> sure. Um, which, of course, she didn't do. And then he was, I guess, exiled. So that was, that, you know, that was her father's story, her, yeah. you know, and her mother died and her beloved brother died. And she, and meanwhile, was being supported by Queen Victoria, who was her godmother wow. and raised as a. That sounds really cool. Yeah. That sounds super interesting. And then eventually, you know, she kind of, she got mad and became a suffragette. And yeah. then during World War One, she worked on behalf of Indian soldiers who were fighting, also presumably for the cool. British. Yeah. Um, but that was, yeah, that wasn't part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, she, she was great, though. She pushed for the uh, women's rights in uh, all the colonies. Mm-hmm. She was really passionate about everywhere getting it. And um, one of her um, sort of rebellious things was uh, to withhold taxes. She like was that. one of, you know, sort of. How American. American. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How American. Well, way. because they didn't have representation, exactly. so why should they pay their taxes? Sure. And she did that with any time she was fined for things, like she wouldn't have a license for her dog. Yeah. And she said, why should I pay for this license when I don't have any representation? <laughs> right. And, you know, eventually the police came to her home and were like, we want our fine money and took one of her diamond rings. <gasps> and one of her friends went and just paid for it at auction and gave it back to her, <laughs> which yeah. reminded me of that. Little House on the Prairie episode where they do that. They went to auction and then the suffragettes filled all the seats. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay. then they drove down the price and then they like paid a dollar for yeah. it or whatever. That's it was. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, sounds she, like a better movie. Come on, guys. <laughs> she also uh, bred purebred uh, Pomeranians and I think maybe Borzois. I can't, I'm not entirely sure what the mm-hmm. other, what the other breed was, but that was one of her hobbies was breeding dogs. That would be such a good movie. <laughs> you know what else would be a good movie? What? Uh, the story of Sojourner Truth. Sure, you've been reading about Sojourner Truth. <laughs> Tell us a little. Well, Let's read, do some history before we do modern times. I read the narrative of Sojourner Truth. It was the first book I read, actually. Because mm-hmm. it was like, I'm, you know, I'm poking around on, on uh, Wikipedia and somehow came to her page. I'm, I'm going to say, I don't have a lot of black history in my sure. back pocket. Yeah. Uh, I have very little history in my back pocket. <laughs> Just and, generally? And, and, that is, and, and there's not a lot of black history less, yeah. on the, right. whatever you would be. I can't even think Just of Just life? Just yeah. being going to school? How much black history were you taught in school? Uh, Civil War. There was one. <laughs> yes. We had one, yeah. Um, so, I, I, Based on Black History Month this year, I learned that what Eli Whitney is not a black man, even though... 
I was 100% taught that in my history class, <laughs> as were all the other, and I verified this by checking with my friends who were in the same classes with me in high school, and we're like, he's not? Hold on, let's go do some research. That's right. really a common mistake. That's the level of knowledge we're working with. So that's a problem. Yes. So one of the things that I want to make sure we talk about uh, on these episodes, yeah. and I will do the research as best I can. That's a good idea. Whatever the subject matter is, we're going to find out how people of color contributed to that to that, that movement or a, that subject sure. or whatever because we don't get it from anything you know school yeah. books are written by white men and that's what we learn about yeah and it okay so anyway sojourner truth yeah, tell us uh, about was sojourner a truth. very inspiring story of a woman who was born a slave basically freed herself her master had said she lived in new york so mm-hmm. um they were the they were uh, slavery was kind of scheduled to be abolished, mm-hmm. like a, a year from whatever time period this was. Um, this is like in the eighteen hundreds, eighteen sixty something, probably. Yes, uh, pre yeah yeah. So um, he had promised her that he was going to free her a year early. Then he didn't, uh-huh. and so she yeah. said, "Well, I'm going to do this last job that has something to do with five hundred pounds of wool, and when I'm done, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm taking my child with me." So that was, you know, that was one of the things she did. When that happened, she left. She didn't run. She specifically walked to another person's place, you know, a, a friendly yeah. other person who would take her in. They took her in. Her her master came and said, you're not free. And the other person interceded on her behalf and said, well, I'll pay you $20 for the rest of the year. Gotcha. So okay. she was then free. Um, for most of her life, she didn't have a home to live in. Mm-hmm. She didn't own anything. Which is, you know, freeing the slaves is one thing, but we didn't that we sure. did not really free them. We did just not. said, no you know, get out of here yes. and fend for yourselves, even though you have you don't nothing. have to live in this shack anymore. And right. To live out in or yeah. in the case of uh, Sojourner Truth, she describes in in great detail at the beginning of the book how they lived, and it was, was it basically yes, dictated. Okay. She couldn't read or write. Yeah. Um, they lived in like the sub basement of a of somebody's mm-hmm. house it was not a good condition um and some of the things you know there were things i'd never read about like the treatment of people as they got older yeah as um and slave people got older they basically were just okay well we're done with you you can't do anything anymore yeah. and you have nothing so go live in a shack and die i guess yeah i mean get out of here not great anyway so she freed herself one of the other significant things that she did i mean historically was she was she she successfully enlisted legal aid to free her son, who had been illegally sold from the north down to the south, which was not allowed. So okay. he, she had, uh, her son was, I can't, I can't remember how old he was at the time, he had been given to someone who was going up north, given, is that the right word? Uh, yeah, um, probably. Taken in, by. In a way. <laughs> sold to. Yeah. Uh, they went up north, and there was a law at the time that you couldn't sell some a slave from up from north to south because the, okay. the slaves in the north, the enslaved people in the north were going to be freed, right? right? And the fact that they sold him back down south meant that he was not going to be freed, and that was her expectation. Yeah. So she pleaded with lawyers, and it was sent, you know, people helped her to get legal representation, and she successfully got her, got her son freed. Gotcha. Okay. Um, one of the first black women to successfully sue a white man. Did she? So then she became 
a suffragette later in life? How she wasn't that, a suffragette. I, she worked. She believed in women's rights and abolition. Obviously, okay. she was an abolitionist, yeah. and she became a speaker. So she famously gave speeches at suffragist meetings. Um, and one of the interesting things is there was there's a famous speech that she gave that's called "Ain't I a Woman." That was but, the thing in our law school. That's that, what it said on the poster. Okay, well that's too bad. Because she didn't say that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> there are two versions of the speech. Yeah. There is a version of the speech recorded uh, that she worked with. I think he was a pastor, but it was someone who did uh, like a regular printing of a like a mm-hmm. newsletter or something. Shortly after she gave the speech, they worked together and they um, recorded the speech and printed it. Okay. This was like, I think this might have been in the 1830s. So during the Civil War, a white woman who was present when she gave the speech created a new version of the speech that includes the phrase, ain't I a woman? Interesting. And a number of other things that she didn't say. Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, and, and one was, of those got stitched into a mural yeah. on our Yes. One of them got stuff. basically stitched into history while yeah. the other one I feel was... very betrayed right now. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So there's actually a website that's devoted to talking about these two speeches and, and why the they exist and the differences between the two speeches. Oh, I'm going to write our law school. <laughs> I'm going to let them know. Make sure they get, get the right there. speech. Yeah. 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 So um, the I believe uh, the narrative of Sojourner Truth was dictated and published to get her some financial support. And then the other thing that she sold were, I can't remember what they're called, they're basically baseball cards, right? Mm -hmm. With her picture on it and a little phrase that says, I'm selling, says, I'm paraphrasing, but it basically says, I'm selling this photograph to support my life. And eventually, sometime after her 50s, she was able to afford to buy a home and she settled into a home. There's a lot of other crazy stuff about her life. Sure. She was involved in what I would describe as a cult at some point. Um, that sounds were, cool. There were murders, <laughs> I believe. Wow. Um, but um, what's the name of the book? It's a short book too. Read it, one hundred percent. What's the name of the book? The Narrative of Sojourner Truth. As you, dictated can I by borrow her. it from you? It's on my iPad. Okay. I didn't Damn. get it. Kindle. Didn't get a physical. Right. Support your bookstores, Jacob. Yeah. All right. I'll go to the Amazon physical <laughs> bookstore and support my. Oh, I think it's bookstore. it's free. I believe on Kindle. Ah. Uh, I think the autobiography of Emmeline Pankhurst is also free. Well, that's, listeners, go do that. <laughs> One other book I discovered that I was super excited. Yeah. The Suffragette Cookbook. Oh, I, you, <laughs> I saw some quotes from this floating around. Yes, I got some quotes out of it. So one of the ways that they spread their message was by publishing cookbooks. And interspersed with these very minimal recipes that I cannot follow um, <laughs> are like... sort of recipes? No, 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 no. Okay. It's like how to make chicken stew and then there's like five ingredients and boil this until it's cooked or something like that (laughs) they're very minimal Um, but interspersed are quotes and messages about the suffrage movement and Mm -hmm. why women's suffrage is important and did they sell these were they steal away for free i think they sold them okay that's cool you guys want to talk about modern current events i had a couple things that i thought about to bring up um, the biggest, the most recent one is that I want to say it's maybe two or three days ago, a study came out that said that the Trump administration at this time, Donald Trump is our president. At the time you're listening to this, we're recording this podcast. You might not be able to believe it, but it's true. <laughs> uh, his administration has the biggest wage gap in the last, I don't know, 
responsible administration type administration. Yeah, that came out a couple weeks ago. And they said it is three times more than the previous administration, but we actually like the, the wage gap is like forty or fifty percent between what men in the Trump administration and women are paid. Shocking to no one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to start with that because although women do have the right to vote in America at this time, uh, they the you know one of the ongoing political struggles is this wage gap. Right, that women are paid less than men for the same work, um, and that this is just one more among them. Yeah, <laughs> one top-down example. Um, so I thought I'd throw that at you, <laughs> at you two ladies. Uh, here was something that came up while I was reading uh, Emmeline Pakehurst's autobiography, was that uh, one of the early scenes that she describes is a woman, and this is like a normal activity in Parliament, mm-hmm. a woman standing up and saying, asking a question. Yeah. Uh, not a not a not a not a member of parliament, obviously, but somebody in the in the crowd, mm-hmm. saying, you know, when are you going to start talking about women's votes? And being pushed down in her chair and a hat put over her face, and all I could think of was like, oh, and then another woman got up and said the same thing, and another woman yeah. and another woman, which made me think, um, yet she persisted, right? Right. Nevertheless, just, she nevertheless, she persisted. Right. It was just like, oh, all right, okay, same, same old, same old. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely some vibes of that in Suffragette, for sure, which is that they are, the women are continually being, if not physically beaten, just silenced. Silenced. I mean, the whole beginning is Maud giving her speech, and then later the result is that they're like, we looked at your testimony. We no. decided it wasn't evidence. And then evidence. we threw it in the garbage <laughs> and no, set it on you. fire. <laughs> uh, which does, I mean, that's coming across right now with, discussions about Planned Parenthood, um, which, I mean, I'm going to say ironically, maybe it's not the right word, I don't consider, I don't think Planned Parenthood should be considered specifically a women's issue, but it has come across, it has become that way politically right now, that that is a place for ladies to go and is about ladies' health, uh, basically the ongoing argument about it, that abortions are for women, and women have Planned Parenthood, and we don't want to cover abortion, so we shouldn't fund Planned Parenthood. The part of that, I mean, okay, yeah, that's true. The, but, I don't know if it is true, the thing I said. <laughs> no, but, well, not the thing you said. <laughs> but I think you mean you support it, my it feelings It exists, on this. right. <laughs> yeah. There's terrible things happening, and they exist. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that makes me, I don't understand, is why, why would men be against birth control? Right. Because right? that's... Well, it's because the idea that women have sex without their permission you know, out of marriage and for fun and enjoyment is, right. you know, an, an appalling concept to them. So the idea that women have any control over what they do with their bodies is sort of, you know, another thing that they don't want to grant them freedom over. And I guess if they are pregnant, then they aren't, they They're aren't able to do some things. They are not, yes, that it also limits women's ability to do all kinds of stuff. Um, Let's not forget about... Uh, Mike Pence's comment that he won't take yes. any meetings with women who aren't his wife. Yes. He won't be alone with them. He won't go to dinner with people who are not with women who are not his wife, which both makes him come across like a crazy, insane weirdo, uh, but also highlights what probably contributes to a wage gap and issues with anyone who works for him. Because how would a woman possibly work for him? Well, also there's the lobbying aspect exactly. of that. Sure. How do women have a voice if he won't meet with them? Women lobbyists cannot meet with Mike Pence. I mean, he is saying that 
through his he's implying he's that. proud of it yes uh so if you are a female lobbyist in washington dc the vice president and his administration are unavailable to you because of i don't know moral religious re- reasons i'm not sure how to how well to, yeah religious reasons i mean basically he got up in front of he gets up in front of anyone and will say for religious reasons yeah i think this should be true not that the first amendment <laughs> yeah. not that religion even fundamentalist christians are necessarily anti meeting with women on an individual basis i mean that is not a general tenant of christianity in general no, i would say people's religions tend to be conveniently yeah line up with their personal for their personal issues yeah but that is there's another current event <laughs> um and I would say that the Women's March mm-hmm. is a huge parallel, huge women's focused organization uh, that has recently been making a lot of uh, a lot of the main focus of activism on the left right now, uh, and has also come under a lot of criticism for uh, racial whitewashing. Uh, yeah, whitewashing, dismissing other uh, people other minority groups essentially is, has been their biggest criticism um, they have to somewhat it seems like responded to that criticism or tried to um, but that has been an ongoing issue for them are you sure really yes, because the four the four leaders of that group only one of them is white yes although that may not have been the case a few months ago mm-hmm. that has been in a state of flux i believe well, the way that it got started was there was a white woman, I believe, in Hawaii who just on Facebook said, we should do this thing. And then it sort of overwhelmed her and she started to engage people who could actually organize because that wasn't, she was just like a random person right? who said a thing and people said, yes, we need to do this. And then she became overwhelmed by it. And that was when they started to bring on Sarsour and the other organizers Yes, that sounds like it could be true. I don't know the history of the women's uh, <laughs> But march. that was um, basically before the actual march in January. These people right. came on and were and became the organizers of it. There has been an ongoing debate along among, I, I don't know what the right term, progressive left groups between uh, the women's march and groups centered on women and the focus on white women or white feminist groups and above the to the exclusion of other women of color other groups that has been an ongoing issue both nationally um and in washington state seattle um this is sort of tangentially related but i'm going to bring it up because i (laughs) this was interesting to me uh there was an article published in the stranger which is considered kind of the progressive newspaper in Seattle. It's a free newspaper mm-hmm. um, about trans people detransitioning, um, which is the very small, small group of people who are trans, transition to the other gender, and then ultimately transition back. And that article got a lot of heat. Um, it led to the resignation of at least one writer that said this should not be published the way that you're publishing it. You have not talked to um, people involved in the trans community about their viewpoints on this. The, the scientists and researchers you quote in this have been uh, have, have been shown to not be ethical in their research. Um, 
And that led me re looking into this, that there is a group that I, I'm not sure if this is their, their group name or if this is derisively used, the TERFs, which is oh, a yeah. group of feminists who believe that trans people are immoral basically that that believe that trans women should not be part of their movement because they are not women and they are not suffering the same consequences and so they should be they should be basically left out of this group they should their their opinion should not be included with feminist opinions and that has been an ongoing thing in seattle and king county and the stranger uh the turfs and this detransitioning article and it's ongoing debate between women and feminist politics and other minority groups that intersect with that yes but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is the best of your understanding nicole yeah. I, mean, I mean intersectionalism is complicated in general yeah. because you know there are so many overlapping issues and everybody acknowledges that and it's sort of hard to know where to start do you start with what's attainable and then sort of incorporate other things mm -hmm. do you say no this is all of our stuff and either you all address it all now or you know, you're not actually paying attention. It's it's complicated. You know, I definitely don't agree with the sort of exclusionary this group can't join. Right. Um, that's seems absurdist and bigoted to me. I guess I'll bring up one other example just because. So, I don't know, four months ago we went to the Black Lives Matter march or a Black Lives Matter march in Seattle. And at the end of the march, as it turns out, there were some complicated issues with the people running this well, and their relationship okay, with Black Lives Matter. Well, okay, we should Matter. say, yeah, they didn't have a relationship with Black Lives Matter, so that's part of the problem. Yes. There was a different group. <laughs> different group kind of co-opted their name, mm -hmm. had a march. At the end of the march, there was a, I don't know, some speeches, some people were going to talk, and there were a group of women of color there in the audience, let's say audience, the group there, who started chanting that this is not a, this is not a, uh, oh, what was the term? Not a turn up? Um, basically, I say this is not a party because the, the, the people giving this speech were basically like, it's so great everybody's out here, we can all hang out and talk about. Right, and the guy who had led the, so there were basically two leaders of the march, mm -hmm. in the front of the march. One was the not very organized organizer, one, yeah. and the other one was someone who had come from somewhere else who was basically the guy who was meant to um pump up the and, crowd yeah pump of? up the yeah. crowd and he was good at it he, he really was, was very good. good at it um but this they invited this group of women to come to this well they did they, not they were not invited people in the audience demanded that the women chanting be allowed to to speak to let speak. them speak yes and they were then the guy Tried to take the microphone and start talking over them. Well, People let's started say, booing. So we we were we were there, obviously. Yeah. These women were the most inspirational oh, speakers yeah, they that they had on the stage. They had they were very passionate. They knew exactly what they wanted. Mm -hmm. They knew exactly why they were there. And first off, they they didn't get a platform until right. the until the crowd insisted on it. Yeah. And then God they, bless the audience, by <laughs> the way, the crowd that right. forced them onto the stage. And then once they got got their platform they were quickly shuffled off yes even though they were really they were the people that had the bright message for that crowd and their their message was essentially this is not a party we're not here to have fun there are people whose voices are being silenced right we're here to both, fight uh, inequity both black voices and women of color who are here because people are being murdered uh and this is not a place for us to 
Be jovial, essentially, uh, that there are bigger issues and that we don't want to ignore them. They had a very good speech, and they, had, I think, had a really good thing to say, and they really had to fight hard to even get the opportunity to speak, yep. and it was cut off as quickly as the people hosting it could do it to booze, a lot of thousands of booze. I wasn't there, um, but that strikes me as such a really interesting parallel um, to the suffragette versus the suffragist movement, because you know you have to have these, for the organizers' perspective, mm-hmm. you have to have these marches to maintain visibility, to yeah. maintain... Um, the notion that this is still an issue and that these aren't just sort of, you know, people being rowdy at one point and then they'll just fizzle out and won't actually be politically a right. nuisance. Um, but then at the same time, you also have to have substance <laughs> to that visibility, <laughs> yes. which is what these women were trying to do. And it's it's very similar to the suffragette movement where they're making the noise. They're yes. trying to get the media attention. And then you have the suffragist movement who's like, okay, but now what do we do with this? <laughs> like, we have to be politically active. We have to have a message. We have to right. have a strategy. So I just found that really interesting in your story now. Which I think is maybe one of the flaws of the suffragette movie, which is that they, again, they start with, well, if you get the right to vote, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And they don't really answer that question by the end of it. It's about them and the sacrifices they have to make to, sometime after the movie ends, <laughs> get the right to vote. Right. But you don't get a clear picture of what, I mean, are they going to get the factory shut down? Where is that going with the other stuff that happens to them? But it has to be motivational, you know? I mean, it's the same thing with the current political climate. The idea that you have to show up, you have to be able to continue to rally support to, um, you know, local marches, to showing up to the town halls that are not being held. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) To hold your own, to go to the local offices, to keep the actual political pressure on. And so you need both sides of that. You need, um, you know, the purpose, and then you also need... The messaging, the thing that in, inspires people to continue to go and makes it easy for them to participate. So Yeah. I just thought of something. Yeah. Um, so Maria Cantwell did find, uh, the first time in her career, she held three yeah. town halls in Seattle, but they were ticketed, right? Mm-hmm. That was one of the ways that the uh, government prevented suffragettes from going to what uh, the equivalent of a town hall mm-hmm. was by ticketing people making sure you had to have a ticket to get in. So they couldn't get a ticket, so they couldn't get in. Yeah. And I, it, it, this just occurred to me just now. That, that, is, <laughs> that is a that similar is what Maria Cantwell did. Was Do you know say, how the tickets were distributed? Yeah. Um, I, I think you could just go up and, okay. and ask for that, a reservation. That fire code. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a certain number of people in. I'm just giving Maria Cantwell the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's never <laughs> wanted to put a town all on before yeah. so and yeah give her a limited credit on my well just, just in terms of the things she supported in her yes like actual role as senator she's yeah done she our is, state pretty good i would say so too there are a lot of people like that have some problems with her actually sure. with her connection to pharma and what mm-hmm. whatnot um but it just all of a sudden dinged you know a light bulb went over my head wait a minute you have to have tickets to go to the town hall but that's what this liberal government did to prevent suffragettes from getting you know, maybe you don't want to make that kind of comparison. Like just first come, right. get in type of a thing. Well, mm-hmm. and I will, I will also tie this into a other ongoing political thing generally, is that suffrage, women's suffrage aside, uh, voter suppression is a huge issue right now and has been for maybe not women specifically, although maybe, uh, definitely people of color. Uh, there is a voter fraud election commission that's demanding a lot of personal it's a very information <laughs> yes. title. Demanding information <laughs> from each of the states um 
at the last time I looked, 44 states had said no. Our state eventually said no, but our uh, initially said yes. She didn't um, say blanket yes. She said, I'll give you what's publicly available. Yes, and then she, as a political coward, quickly backed out of that position. Is my I'm going to interpret that. Well, and it's worth noting, she is our only Republican elected official. Yes. She's, Barely. She struggled <laughs> with it and for some reason changed her mind. Um, One of the other people that wouldn't give up the information was the guy who's the head of that commission. Sure, because he's legally, he's legally blocked in his state from he doing so. <laughs> Um, and I know that at least in Colorado that uh, after this commission began, uh, a lot of people, um, there was a large number of people who deregistered. I thought that was interesting because as soon as I had seen that he asked for the information, I thought to myself, hmm, people are not going to want to register to vote because mm -hmm. they're afraid they're, they're going to be afraid. And of that is intentional, income. right? Yeah. That's the point. Um, I would be. No, it's an intimidation tactic. I would 100%. be interested to know what, what group of voters, though. Mm -hmm. Are liberals more or less likely to unregister at this moment in time due to an intimidation tactic? Or are people who are more concerned about their private information like, say, I would people who, who wish they were off the grid already? My suspicion would be that it is immigrant families. Oh, if I had to sense. guess who would be most vulnerable to the, having their personal information sent to the government, it would be the people who are vulnerable that, that didn't even occur to me but you're right and the other i mean the other outcome of this regardless of registering or deregistering is that the point of collecting voter registration is to purge more people than should be and then limit people of color and minority groups from re-registering after they've been purged right but you also you left a piece out of the equation which was that, the, that at the same time on the same day the department of justice sent letters to, I, I believe it's also 44 states. 44 states affected by a particular yeah. ordinance. I'm not sure what the, what, it, what the actual term is, but affected by a specific ordinance that they have to, you know, ensure that voter fraud isn't occurring mm -hmm. for some reason. And one of the things that they can do as a result would be purging people from the right. votes. And this is too from the rolls. partly to coincide with gerrymandering efforts that will come into play next year. When we're all, we'll all be dead by then. Yeah, so, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it even matters. I don't know but... if dead. Might be locked up in some kind of yeah. Trump internment camp. Yeah. yeah, I feel like in Washington we're probably one of the safer places. Well, surprisingly, you know, I think it was Mississippi. Didn't uh, their Secretary of State basically tell the Trump administration yeah. to? jump off a cliff lots of southern states do. yeah and i mean it's a big states rights issue they're saying listen yeah. we can run our own elections thank you very much we understand how voters are registered and you know there's nice very try. i mean there's very little benefit to a even a republican or very conservative guy if you're a if you are a state actor if you're not involved in the federal government what benefit would you possibly see from this except maybe being able to say like trump asked for it and i did it everybody loves trump should vote for me but Beyond that, you don't get anything out of this. There's no benefit to potentially pissing a bunch of people off. Yeah, and I think they also all realize that they do already check in and there isn't anything to find. You know, there isn't rampant voter fraud. Voter fraud is still a crime. <laughs> so, it's well, currently I don't know. A crime. We did just watch a movie with a lot of voter fraud. In it. <laughs> that's oh, true. Yes. From, yeah, from 1913, but that's all gone now. Uh, yeah. Well, that's some current event stuff. <laughs> There's some intersectionality a little bit. Yeah, there was one other thing that I, that I that I got out of that 
book that they didn't they showed which book i can't you read at least two or three emmeline panker's autobiography <laughs> the one of the things that they did as a strategy was go to was to campaign for whoever wasn't a member of the majority party which was mm-hmm. the liberals at the time they would go to by elections which is basically the same as our special election somebody would resign or die or whatever and okay. they'd have a by election and the suffragettes would show up and campaign for whoever wasn't the Right. Okay. So that's kind of happening now too. We sure. we saw that in Georgia and various yeah, other places. Yeah, special elections are getting a lot of heat. Whereas previous years, who would have even known there was a special <laughs> election? Shout uh, out to Oklahoma for making that change. Yeah, um, and there were at least two elections last week or week before in Montana, one of the M states where <laughs> the Democrats did sweep in the two spots that had uh, opened were they up. Were the state? level or? i think these were state level mm-hmm. but it was like 20 or 30 percent republican districts now have two democrats yeah. so there were she talked about several elections where even though they didn't win they they swung things way over mm-hmm. to the other side um and their whole strategy was just to scare the liberal party right because look we yeah you may lose your majority if you don't do what we want which is what i'm hoping happens right now <laughs> with what's going on right um yeah, that's what I have in terms of current events. I think uh, we did. You, you mentioned um, those events. By the time this episode airs, will not be current anymore. No, they will not be current. <laughs> in fact, you'll have forgotten they happened. <laughs> I will have forgotten they happened, and something even more terrible and con- confusing will yeah. happen. Oh, no. <laughs> in, in today's in the dystopian future in which we already live, current events last two days. Over the so last just quaint right now. Yeah, over the last I'm going to say three days, I found out that. Donald Trump Jr. had a secret meeting planning collusion, and then the next day the meeting had five people in it, and then six, (laughs) and then eight, and then we found out who the eighth person is. So by the time you hear this, who knows? (laughs) Maybe everyone was in there. They met at Trump Tower. One of the guys checked in on Foursquare like an idiot. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. Thank you, Foursquare. Thank you, social media. (laughs) Yes! Uh, Mark Zuckerberg has been traveling around as a weird human robot. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that is weird. Yeah. What's up yeah, with that? Yeah, but he also said something, or did something really controversial that I thought was not going to ingratiate him to the nation. I think it was something like cooperating with um, oh, the government on probably what, net, data net, away. net neutrality. Oh no, no, some, no. It was something about. I mean, he has in the past donated to Republicans. So it just yeah. He will probably, if he runs, run as an independent because he's not going to be Democrat. I just think that's a very like. Not great independent no. platform to have in your background. And Kid Rock's going to run for Senate. That's the other thing. Both oh, yeah. V Rock and Kid Rock. But V Rock is running for president. Right. Make no mistake. Kid I'm Rock not, I'm not entirely sure that. He's doing that <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure I don't believe he registered, but someone registered <laughs> on his behalf. But Kid Rock will run for Senate. He's an Who's he running against? Um, there's like four people in that primary, and I cannot remember what state that is. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, Michigan, it's got to be, right? He's from Detroit. Yes. And it seemed un- unlikely that he would win because he is running against because a large field <laughs> and is Kid Rock, and the people he's running against are not goofballs. It's no. not a goofball state. So I hope he Sorry, goofball splits states. that uh, vote right up. Thank yeah. you, Kid Rock. Although I thought that about Trump, so never mind. I probably just cursed the right. whole thing. Right, right. No, don't say that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no predictions, please. I hope that when he becomes a senator, he votes <laughs> we well. We can edit that out, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I got. You guys have any current events you guys want to talk about? I mean, no, you hit the big ones. 
Did I? There's probably a thousand I did in here. Well, what about about the health care bill? We didn't talk about that. Uh, The last I heard is they were going to send it for CBO score, including the Cruise Amendment, which makes it from a horrible thing to an even more horrible thing. But John McCain uh, had a medical emergency, which has delayed the vote. But luckily, he has health care. So they will wait until he is healed up next week before they plan to have a vote. Oh, and they did also... um... Aren't there two competing bills? Yes, there's that. And they also excuse themselves from some parts of that bill. Yes. yes. Congress. They always exempt themselves. Congress surprise. exempted themselves from the bill. Because the bill's so terrible that they don't want to be covered by it. They said they're just they're... so selfless. They'd rather <laughs> us have the good stuff. And... <laughs> oh, I believe yeah, the Senate sent their copy of the bill to the CBO. Ted Cruz made the what they called the Cruz Amendment, which strips even more rights. So they hope they get the conservatives on board. They're trying not to send the Cruz Amendment to the CBO. They may be impacted by the fact that it's been delayed by a week. Uh, McCain is in recovery, which has pushed it back by at least a week before they can even have a vote. Didn't McConnell, like, suspend some of their vacation time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not taking an August recess. Um, I think that was before McCain said, oh, oops, I'm sick. Um, So that's, McCain may have accidentally bought us (laughs) our way out of this. They also have to pass this bill by, I think, the end of August. There is a time limit for when they can even do this so if they miss that deadline god willing they are not only does this screw up the health care bill for them that will also basically demolish the rest of their agenda yeah because they can't vote on any of the other stuff unless they have the money that ripping everyone's health care away would give them the guy running against uh ted cruz i think is at two million dollars that he's raised is that beto o'rourke i think that's his name yeah i've heard him speak on uh, pod save america he sounded good yeah, I so, like him. And he hasn't taken any, according to him, you know, big money <laughs> contributions. And yeah. he's been primarily working for veterans. Yep. So he sounds like a good guy, and hopefully we can, can dump Ted Cruz, who nobody term. likes. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> Everybody hates his guts, <laughs> and on both sides <laughs> of the aisle. Yeah, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure why they let him. I think he, he, they may be putting his name on this because they don't like him, yeah. and who cares? Uh, might have doomed himself, so I hope. I hope so. Yeah, let's all cross our fingers. But by two weeks from now, who knows? By the time you hear, well, actually, no. By the time you hear this a month or and a half from now, let's say, who knows? Yep, everything will be different. It'll be a utopia. Why not? We'll see. <laughs> or a dystopia, one or the other. Or somewhere in between. Yep. All right, we did it. Hey. So, we didn't talk about the drink. Yeah, tell us about this cocktail. Uh, so, for the first episode of season two, because we're doing American politics, I decided to make a drink uh, based on the apple pie. And what was it called? The apple pie. That's delicious. <laughs> and it comes with a pie. <laughs> yeah. There's a tiny pie. Uh, I've posted many pictures of tiny pies over the past month <laughs> My or so. My mom loves the tiny pie. Well, I kind of hate the tiny pie, actually. It takes forever to make tiny oh, pies. I bet it does. <laughs> First, you have to make the dough, then you make the filling, but making the pies takes forever. Maybe there's some way. Is there something else you could replace the pies with that would be... Piece of apple? <laughs> oh, maybe like a baked apple. Or maybe cinnamon apple yeah. or something. Could yeah. you cut this out of a pre-made pie crust? No. No. I, no. I have a pastry recipe that oh, okay. I fall back on. It's a very good pastry recipe. Not to push my company around. You put that in a... Um, yeah! You can call Nicole with your baking questions. <laughs> Well, huh? what's in it? What's in the cocktail? I want to know what's in the cocktail. cocktail. So tastes like an apple pie. It tastes like they, the apple pie and the cocktail have many ingredients in common. Mm-hmm. So that's part of why. 
So I make a simple syrup that is made with um, like apple spice tea and also mm. some, you know, cloves and nutmeg and whatnot. Um, so it makes a apple pie tasting simple syrup. Mm-hmm. I also use apple spiced apple cider as part of the ingredient. Okay. A little bit of lime juice, which also goes into the pie. Uh, mm-hmm. use some of the apple cider goes into the pie. Some of the syrup goes into the pie. Okay. Um, a pie bearing when you're <laughs> apple pie. Yes, and some cardamom bitters. Okay. And then uh, Templeton whiskey, Templeton rye. It reminds me of, have you guys seen the show Justified? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. There's that season where the lady where makes, makes apple pie moonshine, which I think is called apple pie. <laughs> it just reminds me of the shot apple pie from my early twenties. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of people. And it justified. She poisons people with it. With oh. I think apple pie, like apple seed, she makes cyanide out of it and poisons her enemies. Well, I didn't poison you. Not that I know. I, just I didn't you, drink it. I just we'll made you a tiny list. apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> if I did, Elizabeth's recording. <laughs> now you'll know who did it. What are we doing next? All right. So our next episode is going to be... Wait, hold on. I did that out of order. What? We should do plugs first so that anybody can't skip over our plugs to find out what's next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joke's <laughs> on <laughs> you, listeners. Don't find the best one. <laughs> yeah. You don't know how many times to skip. <laughs> Nicole, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I do not. I mean, you can find me on Twitter if you'd sure. like to. I'm at Nicole Westry. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-W-E-S-T-R-E. Yeah, everybody follow Nicole. Uh, Mom, what do you want to plug? Uh, I don't. <coughs> I don't have anything to plug. <laughs> Wait, are you are you trying to say this bullshit or something? <laughs> no, uh, I did guest on an episode Third of Third Act Saviors, so I guess I should plug that. Oh, you were funny on that. I wasn't funny. I did it's say funny. it's a me, mommy. <laughs> you did, and we all laughed, and I'm still laughing to this day. Um, yeah, so I was. I did that. I think we should do a crossover episode, actually. How would we do that? Watch um, a bad historical movie? So I'm going to pick a bad old movie. Okay. I have a movie in mind. Mm. One of my favorite movies okay. of all time from the we'll 80s. save that for later. I want to talk um, about it. And then we, uh, yeah, then I do my usual shtick and you do your shtick. Oh, that'd shtick, be good. Your shtick. Um, and my shtick is reading books. And so what I'm going to plug is go read the narrative of Sojourner Truth. For it's free, a, possibly. It's not long. It is. Well, it will expose to you things. May, uh, I'm talking to white people now, not mm-hmm. um, yeah, white middle-aged people. Read this book because yeah. there are things in it that you probably aren't aware of. And yes. she's an extraordinary person, and you should just read about it. You made it sound really exciting. Say <laughs> that much. Um, yeah, we should do a crossover episode. We'll have to get a fifth mic so you could be on there, and we could have five people. Um, wouldn't we need? Wouldn't it be six people? Well, no, I, I no, because he's one of the three. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. there's two and two, <laughs> two and I'm Jacobs. in the overall. Your is just so Well, large. I mean, I have three mics, so <laughs> we could, maybe we could do put it. all our mics together. I guess if there's enough ports on them. There port, are six ports on that. Then sure we can. All right, <laughs> well, we'll figure that out. Um, I'm going to, I'll just plug Third X Saviors. That's a podcast I'm on with my friends Mike and Daniel. They have both been guests on this podcast. By the time you heard this episode, they've both been guests on this podcast. <laughs> Um, we watch a bad movie and fix the third act. Um, they're a couple of improv goofballs, so it's pretty funny. My mom was on as a guest. Uh, Karen was on as a guest. And um, our you last few episodes have been great. So, uh, what, what's that? You, think? <laughs> you should have Nicole. Yeah, we should yes. have Nicole. And we should have James on as a guest. Yes. Our, our first and only fan, James. James, James would very much enjoy. James yeah. is my boyfriend. Yes. I was wondering. 
If you've listened to Third Act Savers, you've heard many times that James likes our podcast and Nicole <laughs> listens to it. So. I, I'm, a, I'm an active suggester of right. <laughs> things to the podcast. Yeah, we will, we'll work some cross-brand uh, germination on this thing. Um, but that's what I'll plug this week. And now, what are we doing next week? Haha, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> in your face. Uh, before we go there. Don't forget we have a WordPress. Oh, yeah, we do. There will be a blog post in coordination with this release of this episode and yeah. also a Twitter and a Facebook. I'm going to be more aggressive on posting all these articles I refer to on our WordPress than and, actually cite them. Uh, yeah, and all the photos are up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get to the episodes from there. Also, what was I going to say? Oh, that whole like, Follow subscribe, subscribe thingy, do that. Yeah, go on iTunes if you're an iTunes person. Review this podcast five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, still then, review it five <laughs> stars and let yeah. us know anything we goofed up, anything we said that was yeah. Bad. I mean, teach us a lesson. The history from the beginning of this, from the beginning of this show to forever, there's going to be mistakes. I guarantee. Yeah. I'm going to say things that are wrong, so please correct us. Yeah, you can make it a game. Tell us yeah. about the mistake. Tell us and about we, it. If you do it, we will absolutely talk about it on this show and bring it up and talk it over. It should be great. So, and also, you, can, you can email us too at decadespodcast at gmail.com. Is that decades underscore or nope. just decades podcast? Decades podcast, no spaces, nothing. Write us an email. Also, if there's anything that you'd like us to talk about that we haven't. On or if you subjects, want to suggest a movie. Also great. We will probably have more episodes this season because... When we went through the lists, there were more movies we wanted to do than decades. Right. Yes. <laughs> we're going to work that. So out. this is going to be a long season. I you prob I am going to before this episode comes out, <laughs> I'm going to do a little spiel and release a recording talking about how this season will be different. Yeah. Um, so that we don't have to talk about it on the show. Yeah. So what's our next watch? Uh, Nineteen. I know it's about journalism, and it's, it's probably yeah. the 20s. Power of the Press. It's 1920. Uh, and we we. We were probably going to have two episodes in the 20s. Okay. Uh, the first one is going to be a movie act- literally called The Power of the Press mm-hmm. from 1928, uh, directed by Frank Capra and starring Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Uh, it's a silent film. Uh, both of those people became very well known. This is really early works for them. Okay. Uh, and then we're going to watch that versus Spotlight, which a lot of people will probably already be familiar with because it was a pretty popular movie about an investigation into... Uh, church won the oscar right yes yes the boston globe and i'm excited to have an excuse to watch it so i should finish my sentence oh sorry (laughs) the investigation (laughs) into the widespread and systematic child sex abuse in the boston area by numerous roman catholic priests oh yeah (laughs) that'll be fun you might have heard of it that'll be super fun to watch but sure uh yeah but so but we're watching it as as an example of how the press the power of the, what is the responsibility of the press? How is how is it important to our Don't society? worry, everybody. We will watch that famous <laughs> press politics movie later in the season. Yes. When it's, I'm not know, familiar. If you want to know when we're going to watch um, all the presidents, all the presidents, men, it'll be in the sixties, right? 70s? No, that's a seventies movie. So yeah. when we get to the seventies, we will totally Don't watch Don't worry, movie. we'll get to it. <laughs> no parallels to. Yeah, no. By the time we get there, we'll know for sure. <laughs> Oh, I don't know, Jacob. You sent out a you sent a, you tagged me in a post this morning yeah. that completely drew oh. parallels between now and then. I yes, there's a, an article. Well, it's a picture of an article from I cannot remember which newspaper it is during Watergate, which is 
here are, what is it, 15 excuses to use if somebody complains about Watergate. And it's just the playbook of everything you hear on the news right now. Yes, I've seen, I have seen, like, basically line-by-line parallel this is what you say if somebody complains about what's going on with the Russian collusion thing. Well, we'll post it on WordPress. We'll, we'll get that picture yeah. out there. Um, but yeah, and we will have some guests on the next episode. I'll probably announce that. Not now. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Because <laughs> we were going to have a guest on this episode, and that didn't. Yeah, we're going to pick the dates after we're done recording. So, yeah. Well, thanks. Okay. Thanks, folks. Nicole? Okay. No? Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, welcome to season two. This was very fun for my first podcast ever. Oh, good. (laughs) All right. Well, bye. 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 I never thought we'd get the vote, so I've never thought about what it would mean. So why are you here? I thought that we might.